You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. Well, it's the first time I've been to this part of Texas. And Bill, Bill always says this. He says, every time I go to Texas, I bring my, pass, my passport just in case you guys decide to exit you know, the U.S., <laughs> become your own nation. So uh, I love Texas. I, I was, uh, my wife hunts. By the way, I should tell you, I'll tell you a little bit about me in case you don't know. I, I met my wife when she was 12. We got engaged when she was 13. That's a true story. This shows you how dysfunctional our families were. <laughs> and uh, we got married when she was uh, 17 and I was 20. And we have three, we have four kids and we have 11 grandkids and we have a great grandson. And I just want to say I like the grandkids much better than the children. <laughs> and my wife, <laughs> yeah, so my wife hunts and fishes with uh, Ray and the, the, the team. My, I, I, I don't hunt or fish. My wife rides horses. My wife killed a bear with a bow this year. Yeah, the arrow went right through and shot another one too. So you got two with one. The other one ran off, thankfully, didn't kill it, but... Yeah, so if someone breaks into our house, I wake her up. I'm like, you should go check that out. Amen. Yeah. My wife has Parkinson's. She's had it for nine years, and she still hunts and fishes and rides horses. So she's a bad woman. <laughs> she's a very bad woman. But uh, I felt like my wife would feel right at home. When I came in the church, there's a sign. I don't know if you've noticed it on the window. There's a sign that talks about carrying guns in here. So I, I feel nervous. Can't, can't carry guns in California very much, you know, so, but my wife would feel really right at home. So, thank you for having me, and I notice uh, Texas people are really quiet, which that really surprises me, uh, but I don't know what happens when you get excited if you shoot them in the air or something, so <laughs> maybe there's some kind of rule that you can't get Texans excited or something and start having a, um, you know, some kind of a party. Well, let me give away a few things. This is called Spirit Wars, Winning the Visible... Uh, battle against sin and the enemy and this is actually about spirit wars that's why it's called spirit wars <laughs> so how many know you're not in your bat you're not in a battle with your old man when you receive jesus christ your old man died and you don't even have weapons the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds and so um, i'd like to give this to someone who's demon possessed If your husband's with you, <laughs> you want, would you like this? You don't look demon-possessed, but come on and come get this. Very good. Thank you so much. And um, my wife just finished this book last year, The Good, the God, and the Ugly, Inside Story of a Supernatural Family, which is um, our family. And she, um, she wrote stories, this is full of stories about our family and our, our sons, our daughters and grandsons. And I, I, I did the first edit on this book, so I was editing the stories and, you know, editing her, her writing. And I'm like, oh, that, that story, that's not how that story happened. She's like, no, that's how that story happened. <laughs> I said, well, I have it differently in another book. She goes, you need to get your book back and edit it. <laughs> so this is our life according to Kathy. I'd like to give this to somebody. Somebody, somebody has grandkids. Anybody in here have grandkids? Why don't, why don't someone come and get it? 
You guys are so polite here, I don't know. Okay. Okay, and this is a, this book just came out two weeks ago, Uprising the Epic Battle for the Most Fatherless Generation in History. This is actually about the restoration of fatherhood and through a vision. I'm probably going to share a bunch of that today. Who would like, I'd like to give this to a dad. How about you right there, yeah? It's great. So good. Appreciate it. I don't know who you are, but I saw men surrounding you, young men out of prison. I saw some sort of like a transition place where you were teaching men how to be men. And I feel like the Lord is, uh, I don't know if this is in your heart at all, so just feel free to flush it if it's not, but you'll be wrong. But uh, <laughs> this is much better than the Trump, Trump word. The, <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like the Lord is uh, putting you in a place to father a whole bunch of really tough guys that need a dad. And I feel like there's some sort of connection between um, uh, prison, uh, men coming out of prison, and you developing some sort of, I hate the word program because it sounds kind of like it doesn't have a heart, right? But I feel like there's some kind of program where you're actually taking men in and helping them to, you know, transition out of that mentality. And so I just bless that in you in Jesus' name, and thank you for what you're doing. Um, uh, let's pray. Why don't you grab a hand? If you'd like to date the person you're holding hands with, could you just squeeze their hand? If that's a no, just, if it's a yes, just squeeze back. If you're married, show them the ring. Okay, you can let go of hands, and now we're going to pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for what you're doing in this church, and we pray, Lord, for, uh, we just, we thank you that we're in the middle of this reformation, and we pray, Lord, for just an uprising in this church. Lord, we pray for an uprising that affects the community, that affects the state, that affects the nation. Lord, we pray that radical believers would be stirred and sent and equipped in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I want to talk uh, about the restoration of fatherhood, but I want to take a little different approach than I took the first service I, I don't know if you're uh, fully aware of it, but there is a war over who shapes history. There is a cultural war going on, and I think that most people, most Christians even, are not aware that we are in a battle over who will write history. And I believe that God is raising up cultural architects, solutionaries, He's raising up prophets and prophetesses that will actually shift the course of history towards the king and his kingdom. And I, I, I wonder how many believers realize, I don't mean believe, but I mean actually realize that we are not, that we don't inhabit this planet, but we cohabit this planet. We actually share this planet with other beings. I'm not talking about UFOs or aliens. I'm talking about demons and angels. Like, the Bible is really clear that there are actually other beings on this planet. And that there are a third of those beings that are invisible yet tangible, often invisible yet tangible, actually have influence over the planet in a negative way. That they actually hate us. And um, I want to tell you a couple of stories that have really shaped my understanding of what's actually happening today. 
And I want to point out, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, but the, we are in a first heaven war with a second heaven enemy. And we are often trying to solve a second heaven problem with a first heaven solution. And we are hoping that we'll get the right president, the right governor, the right congressman, the right whatever, and that's going to shift the course of history. And I want to tell you that when you have a first heaven problem, you may not understand what I'm saying right now, but I'll explain it in a minute. When you have a first heaven problem, you can solve a first heaven problem with a first heaven solution. But when you have a second heaven problem, you can't solve a second heaven problem with the first heaven solution. You can only solve it with the third heaven solution. So I want to tell you the story, and then I want to show you what's happening, and then talk through solutions. When, um, many years ago, we lived in a little town called Lewiston. It was, uh, was just, uh, just 900 people. And a little bit later, we moved to Weaverville, which you may have heard of if you've heard, of, if you've, uh, heard Bill Johnson speak. And that's where I met Bill Johnson. So we were, uh, one year, Kathy and I moved from the Bay Area because I had a nervous breakdown. And we moved to this uh, little town way out in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of California, an hour from society. And um, when I was living in Lewiston, trying to get over a nervous breakdown, the Lord said to me, I'm going to give you this little town. A few years later, a year later, we moved from that town, and I was the volunteer youth pastor. We owned businesses in Weaverville, nine businesses eventually. And I was, Kathy and I were volunteer youth pastors for Mountain Chapel, which is what Bill, Johnson's, Bill Johnson came to this church of 40, and it grew to about close to 300, which was a 10% of our population. Anyway, after the, after the, our youth group got so big, we hired a full-time youth pastor, and I was uh, just praying about what my next, you know, what my next step was in, in, you know, I loved working with youth. So one day, I just felt the Lord say, I want you to go to Lewiston, again, 15 minutes from the town we were living in, I want you to go loose and I want you to walk the street once a week and I want you to pray and I don't want you to talk to anyone. Just pray. So I'm like, okay, so you know that really isn't my gig at all, but I started going Sunday nights and I, I felt to go late enough that I wouldn't be interrupt, interrupted by people. So I'd go to Lewiston around eight o'clock at night and right before dark, a little earlier in the winter, and I would, you could walk, there was nine, there's 900 people, I told you, in Lewiston, 750 of them live in one, uh, in one uh, area, one subdivision. And that subdivision was created when they built the Lewiston Dam, which you probably don't know much about, but they built a dam and they had to build a little town so they could house the workers. So this town has been there since, you know, like the 30s or 40s. So um, you can walk the entire town in exactly one hour. So I would go by myself and I would just walked it was summertime when I started and I just started walking every street which again is no big deal takes you one hour and at first I was just doing it because I was obedient like I felt the Lord tell me to do it I have no idea what we're doing but I just walked the street it wasn't like I had this vision it wasn't like some booming voice talked to me I just was completely doing it out of obedience and uh, nobody wanted to come with me because it wasn't exciting and so I just walked the streets, and I, pretty soon, uh, I just, you know, so I, I thought I was going to do this for like a month. And then two months went by, and three months, and four months. And I was literally like, I don't really want to do this. 
And, but I feel, I feel like it's one of those kind of convicting things you have where you don't know why you don't know, but you know you're supposed to do something, but you, have no what reason, you don't have any reason why. Some people are like, why are you doing this? I, mean, I, I have no idea. And then the Lord challenged me like month three or four maybe, right in there. And he said, why don't you actually put your heart into this? And how about I teach you how to pray? I'm like, well, I'm going to be here anyway. That sounds good. So I started taking it more seriously. Like, this may, this may be like, I may do this for six months. So I started actually praying. I'm walking by the houses, and what happened is, is the Lord began to talk to me about what's happening in the different houses. And he would say to me, this house is a house of a prostitute. And she's lost. And so I would just stop, and you know, I, wasn't, I was not drawing any attention to myself. Nobody would know I was praying, but I would just stand outside of her house for maybe three or four or five minutes, and I would just pray for her. God, save her soul. God, turn her around. And by the way, Lewiston, in Trinity County, our county, which was, it has a lot of, it's only, there's only 13,000 people in our county. Lewiston was, they called it the armpit of Trinity County. It's where all the drug addicts lived. It's where all the prostitution happened. And, um, and so it was the, the worst part of our community. So I, I would pray for her, and then the, I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd walk a little further, and the Lord's like, there's two children being molested in this home. And I would just pray for the, those children. Well, this went on month four, month five, month six, month seven. And pretty soon, I could close my eyes. There's no traffic or anything. It's, you know, you can imagine it's a mountain community. And, and I could close my eyes, and I could tell you by discerning what house I was in front of. By the seventh and eighth month, I could close my eyes and walk the entire street turn around and walk the next street and I could tell you what house I was in front of by the spirit that was on that house and I would pray not against them I would pray God just break through here God I just pray that you would awaken that that father that he would stop molesting his children I would just pray for this drug addiction to be broken and I pray for the the drug deal in this house to be stopped and I just prayed like that so Pretty soon, it's winter time, and there's like two feet of snow on the ground, and I'm still walking the street and just, you know, praying, and one day, a whole bunch of people in our church want to go with me. You got to know that I've been doing this by myself now for a solid, you know, year. I actually started in the winter. I said summer, start in the winter. It's winter again, and about 15 people go, hey, I heard you're praying in Lewiston. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing it for a year, you know. They're like, what do you do? I go, I just walk and pray. And they're like, oh, well, we want to go with you. Like literally 15 different people all want to go with me when no one's ever asked to go with me. And I'm like, that's weird. So I'm, I'm trying to talk them out of it. I'm like, I don't do anything. I just walk the street. And the Lord said, don't draw attention to yourself. So I go at night. Like, yeah, we're, we're supposed to go with you. These are not like a youth group. These are like individual people. I said, okay, there's an old gym. There's an old gym at the, in, it, it's a, they haven't used the gym for 20 years. Great big building. Everybody knows where the old gym is. I said, meet me in front of the gym. I'll be there at whatever it was, 8 o'clock, I think, at that time. Okay, so they all show up, and I assign them streets. 
okay, you go to First Street, and they're literally First Street, Second Street, Third Street, Fourth Street. And I, I said, you guys, will all, you'll all be here in 20 minutes. And we'll meet in front of the gym, we'll gather, and we'll pray. So, all right, so they go out, and they, they go to street, you know, street, they, each one has a street, and they're, they're going, and they're praying, and, and I'm praying. And, I, and we end up in front of the gym about 25, 30 minutes. Well, by now, it's, it's dark. Now, have you ever been to a place that has no streetlights and no, when there's no moon, it's so dark you can't see, in, like you can't see your hand? That's what I'm talking about. It's dark. And this Lewiston is surrounded by mountains and it's in a valley. So if, at nighttime, if you go, hello, it literally goes, hello, 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 hello. So we gather and we grab hands and there's nothing like heavy spiritual going on you know, I think they're disappointed. Nothing, you know, they just, I don't know what they were expecting, <laughs> to be honest. But you know, when you have that many people, you're like, you want to have a, something, like, something happened. But it was just like when I led, nothing happened. So, so we grab hands and we start to pray. Now, right in front of the gym is a field that's probably twice the size of this, of this room. It's just grown with weeds that are four to six feet high. It's overgrown with weeds. And Lewiston is just a town with you know garbage everywhere old tr old trucks on people's you know just garb it's just you know it's just a run down broken windows so this is like not a great place so we grab hands and you can't the circles like there's like 16 of us you can't I can't see the people on the other side of the of the circle and we start to pray and as soon as we start to pray in the field behind us all of a sudden, there's a, yeah! but 10 times louder than that. And it echoes, right? It's one of those noises that makes your hair on the back of your head stand up. And, and we, as soon as we stop praying, well, of course, we immediately stop praying, because it sounds like someone's being murdered, and it immediately stops, just like that. And the team goes, we're going home. I said, you freaking are not going home. You wanted to pray here. And I'm like, I'm getting out of here too. But I'm like, act courageous. You know, I'm telling myself, act courageous. And I said, you guys aren't going home until we finish praying. They're like, oh. So they're like, all right, all right. What's that noise? I go, well, I don't know. I've never had that happen before. <laughs> so we grab hands again and we start praying. And the second we start praying, it starts again. Ah! We stop and it stops. We start and it starts. We stop and it stops. Now they're really freaked out. And I mean, it is loud. And they're like, oh, I, I said, no, no, no. This is why you're all here. Let's pray some more. So we start praying, and it starts getting louder. I said, let's not stop. Let's, get, let's just get more intense. So we start getting more intense, and it gets more intense. And it's like, ah! And now it's going, ah! And, and we're going, in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And of course, all this is echoing, right? And it's completely dark. It is like watching a haunted house movie. <laughs> we pray for over five minutes, which you have to know that that is a long time in a situation like this, right? We are praying. And we are praying. It's getting louder. We're getting louder. Now, pretty soon, boldness is happening, right? So people are starting, we break the power of this thing. And this, like, all of a sudden, like, Holy Spirit's on, on the team, right? And we're praying, we're praying, and pretty soon it goes, ah! and we're like praying louder and louder, and we're more intense and more specific, and it goes, ah! and it stops. 
We let go hands. I go, let's pray one more time just to make sure. <laughs> we pray again. It's totally silent. Totally peaceful. That was Sunday night. Monday morning, I get a call from the probation department. And I know, I know the probation, the, I have a, a repair shop, so I work on the probation cars, and Dick Maybe is the head of probation. He's not a Christian, but he likes me. He calls me, he goes, hey, Chris, we have 37 kids on probation in Lewiston. In Lewiston, right? This is the day after this thing happens. And we're going to teach these, and, they're all, and they've all broken their probation. And instead of sending them back to juvenile hall, we are going to get their parents in a class for six weeks, and we're going to teach them how to parent. And while we got the parents, I was wondering if you'd like to take the, the kids, these juveniles, for two days a week, for six weeks. And, and we will give you the gym that hasn't been open for 20 years, and you can do whatever you do in there. And he said, if you say yes, I have to tell you, you just can't say Jesus in there. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a city, pro I mean, it's going to be, you know, a county project, so you can't preach to them. He's like, he said, you can't Bible bang them, and you can't say Jesus. I said, okay. So I, I said, okay, I'll do it. So we take, we, we end up taking over that gym, and we get, we get there like a week early. My whole family, my kids are young at the time, and we get there, and there's like at least an inch of mud and dirt the gym leaks, it's wintertime, it's cold, there's no heat. We spend a whole day cleaning out the gym, getting it ready for the kids, and Kathy cooks a bunch of cookies, and we get there with Cokes and cookies, not Coke, you know. <laughs> Soft drinks, just to be clear. <laughs> and we... Um, we get there like a half an hour early to, you know, kind of make sure we get everything set up. There's a volleyball court, there's a basketball court. It's all like kind of, you know, it's, it's old and decrepit, but at least they have one. And so we get there, and we get there half an hour early, and there's supposed to be 37 kids, but there's 100 kids lined up at the door. And we're like, well, I don't know what we do about that. And before, you know, we thought we we're going to get there early, and then but we open the gym door, and they come running in the gym like rats. And they're just like, within three minutes, there's a fist fight in the gym. I'll give you the short story because I want to preach something else today. I broke up five fights that night. I was so scared. I was, it was wintertime, and my, I was sweat soaked to my underwear. And we had a halftime. So we played basketball and volleyball, we tried to. There was like 15 people on the court, 20. <laughs> Everything was packed solid. And when we had, it was, it was halftime, thankfully Kathy brought extra stuff, and we had them sitting on the picnic benches which were inside the gym, and I'm going to share with them. Remember, I can't preach Jesus, because I'm still got this, but I decide, I get this, story, which it's too, I, it's too long to tell you right now, but I get this story about this ring. It's actually in the book More Revolution. It hap it gives, the Lord gives it to me in 15 seconds on the way to the gym. I've never s told the story before, and it's about sexuality. 
And I'm, gonna, I'm like, all right, I'm going to teach these kids on probation about sex. So I start telling this story, which takes about 15 minutes to tell, which has to do with a girl losing a ring that a man fought his entire life for. And she thought the value of the ring was in the gold and the diamonds. What she didn't understand is that the value of the ring was in the blood, sweat, and tears that took the, ring, took the guy to get the ring from the battlefield all the way to the honeymoon suite. So on the night he lay with his lover, he had something to give her, he had the fight to keep. Because anyone can give away something expensive, but only people who understand sacrifice can give away something valuable. And they were listening. The first few minutes, they're like, the first five minutes, they're like, how long is this effing going to happen? How long do we effing have to sit here? That was her favorite word. How, and they're doing that, right? And I'm so nervous. And then I start telling the story, and they're like, ah, oh, just give us the cookies. You know, it was like that. <laughs> so the, we're doing that. And then I get like seven or eight minutes into the story, and they're listening intently, and I tell this whole story that the Lord gave me. It's a fiction story. And at the end, I tell them that part of the story. And then I say, the ring is your virginity. And the reason why you have a sex drive years before God wants you to have sex inside of marriage because the value of your virginity is in the blood, sweat, tears it took to get your virginity from the battlefield all the way to the honeymoon suite. So on the night you lay with your lover, you have something to give them that you fought to keep. Now this story took about 20 minutes. The toughest guy, I've already broken three fights up with him. Tough guy. He's, everybody's head is bowed. I didn't ask him to bow their heads. They're weeping. The floor is puddling with all of their tears. And he says, no one effing ever told me about this. The toughest girl in the room who's been involved in the fights says, no one effing ever told me about this either. And that was day one. I ended up being with those kids two days a week for five years. I adopted, we adopted our oldest son from that group. And the entire community changed like if you go there today there's a park where there's once a field the gym is remodeled and all the houses are there they look like track houses but they're all well kept nice yards the drug addicts are gone the prostitutes are converted there were so many gangsters going to my youth group youth group that i had to have the kids, so after six weeks, I didn't, I had no more contract, and, but they said, well, you can keep it. You can keep the gym if you want. And so I took the toughest five kids, and I said, you guys want me back here? Yeah, yeah, we like the gym being open. Good. You have to police the place. If any more knives or guns or drugs come in this place, if any more come in, I'm gonna lock the gym, and I'm never coming back. So you have to stand at the door, and you have to make sure the drugs and the weapons stay outside. And if there's a fight, if I have to break it up, I don't come back. I lock the gym, and I'm gone forever. Well, I got to tell you, they didn't keep the word exactly. It took them about six months to keep the drugs out. But pretty soon, it was known, you don't bring drugs and guns and knives into the gym. They had a storage place. They stored them outside. True story. The deputy sheriff was coming to the gym and arresting my, my, my youth group kids. He would come to the gym and arrest my youth group kids. So Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I went to see the sheriff because he's a born-again Christian. And I told him what I was doing. And I said, I need your help because 
your sheriff deputies arresting the kids. So they made Tuesdays and Thursdays a no arrest night. Because the sheriff said, we're arresting him, he's changing him. And we ended up winning two, two community awards and after one year, the Lions Club and the Rotary Club paid for all of our snacks and all of our expenses. And that was just a little town of 900 people. And I began to realize that night, we're driving home the first night, night one. I've broken up five fights. I'm, when I say break up fights, you can't tell kids don't fight. You have to tackle them. <laughs> Literally, I tackled five guys the first night. And when I got home, I was, you know when the anointing lifts and you're just like shaking? You're like, they could have killed me. <laughs> <laughs> but on the way home, I started thinking about what that man said on the front row. No one effing ever told me about this. Talking about sex. And I'm like, guy got no father year two I initiated this program where I I said to Kathy let's meet with each parent over the next two years we walked in so we said to the kid hey tell can I come see your your parents next week and they're like okay because you could walk to anyone's home I walked the first kids home Kid's about 12. We walked to his house. Doors open. Marijuana smoke's coming out of the house. Windows broke out. No lights in the house. No water in the house. Mom's in the corner with a needle in her hand, in her arm. And I said, where's your dad? He said, I don't know who my dad is. That was the end of the program because I figured out that I had 127 kids and I had one family that had a dad at home. And we became the surrogate parents. But I began to understand that we're in a battle to shape culture, and that battle is not against flesh and blood. We're in a war with the demonic principality that is deconstructing the family and redefining what male and female is. And I want to just take you through a little bit of a teaching if you haven't heard the idea of three heavens. Why do we, call, why do we say, why do we number heavens? First of all, we number them because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, which we'll talk more about in just a minute, I was, knew a man who was taken to the third heaven. If there's a third heaven, there's got to be a second and a first. So Genesis chapter 1 says, God created the heavens and the earth. I'd like, to, I'd like to say that the first heaven is the visible realm. It's the realm you live in. But that's not really true. It's not just the visible realm. For, exa for example, we have electricity. You can't really see it, but it has a manifestation, right? We have Wi-Fi. You can't really see it, but it has a manifestation. And we know that we have other beings living in this realm you can't see. First heaven, right? But it's the... It's the human realm. Second heaven is in Ephesians. Am I boring you? Texans have this weird look. I'm not used to it. I haven't been here. Like you are definitely the quietest American crowd I've ever talked to. And you stare more than anyone. And, I, 
and you have guns, so I'd... It's been, a, it's been since Lewiston that I spoke to a crowd like this. <laughs> Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly, in heavenly places. How many know there's no demons in God's heaven? We call this the second heaven. And then obviously I already gave you the scripture first uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 2, where Paul says, I know a man who 14 years ago, whether in the body or not, God knows, such a man went, he's caught up into the third heaven. Okay, just to make sure that we are on the same, because I've never been here before, make sure we have the same understanding. When you receive Christ, you became a new creation. That word new, there's two words for the word new in the Greek. That word new is the word prototype. It means never before created. So when you receive Christ, when, when, when Jesus rose from the dead and he began to have born again people, you were not born again in the same creature you were before you were saved. You became a new creation. You're the first creature to actually ever carry God inside of you. In the old covenant, God was on them but you're the first creature to carry God with you. You know when Moses said to God in Exodus 33, I love that you're in the tent with me. Your glory shows up, but I actually need you to go with me. How many understand that prayer that Moses offered up to God is actually manifest in you, and God goes, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, and by the way, I'm not on you, I'm in you. So you are a prototype, and... Second or thirdly, whatever point I'm on, because <laughs> I'm not on the notes anymore. You are seated in heavenly places currently with Christ. Now, listen, I understand that you, you, you believe that, but when you actually believe that, when we actually realize that that's not a theology and a philosophy, but it's a reality, it'll change your destiny. So you live on earth and in heaven. I, everyone who knows Christ is seated with Christ currently. This is first yeah, Ephesians 1 and 2. You are currently seated with Christ in heavenly places. Listen to this. Far above all principalities and powers. This is, very, this is important that you know this. Far above all principalities and powers. And every name that's ever been named. So you live in heaven and you live on earth. As far as we know, you're the first creature to ever be created that can live simultaneously in two realities. Are you with me? So the question, you probably heard this before, the question is, are you living from earth towards heaven? Are you living from heaven towards earth? Are you with me? And what I'm getting at is that most Christians have a vacant seat in heaven because we spend all of our time trying to solve second heaven problems with first heaven solutions and we don't take our third heaven authority and begin to actually rule from the third heaven to the second heaven to the first heaven. Are you with me? Okay, now I want to show you something just to give you an idea. If you will open your Bible to second, to, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, I want to show you something that you may have never seen before. So Paul writes, are you there? Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, okay, depending on what version of the Bible you have, you will have a different word for the first ruler, because he names four rulers. So in New American Standard, he says rulers. I think, I think New King James says principalities. Who has principalities in your, or who has rulers? Okay, so this first, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world's forces of darkness. The first ruler he mentions, the actual Greek word, the actual Greek word is the word origin, O-R-G-I-N. Okay, you're like, well, I don't care about Greek. No, follow me from that. The word, the Greek word translated rulers or principalities or whatever translated in your Bible is actually the Greek word origin. Why does that matter? Because demons are named after the influence they have on humans. So when Jesus cast out the deaf and dumb spirit, the boy could hear and talk. The name of the spirit wasn't deaf and dumb. Jesus is naming it like you would name a disease. He's like, that's the deaf and dumb spirit. Are you with me? So spirits, demonic forces, are named after the, after the effect they have on humans. Are you with me? Okay, why is, the, why is that important? Because the first demonic power that Paul names that we are at war against is a spirit whose name is origin. What does that mean? Well, that means that his job is to infect and affect the, the, the truth of origin. Okay, follow me. Uh, you'll get this in a minute. It'll make, it'll make sense in a minute. So, okay, this is going to sound like it doesn't relate, but follow me. In Philippians 4.15, Paul writes, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, okay, follow me, the two words, first preaching, so Paul says, when I was with you, uh, when, I was, when I was with you, Philippians, you yourselves know, Philippians, at the first preaching of the gospel, he said, when I first came to you, at the first preaching of the gospel, the word first preaching is actually one word, it's the identical word origin. Okay, this, is, this will make sense, just follow me for a minute, don't get, don't get bored. The word, when Paul said to the Philippians, I came to you and I preached to you the first, the first, at my first preaching. He's not saying, you know, the first time I preached to you. He's saying, when I laid the origins of the kingdom out. Remember when I came to you the first time? I laid out the origins. Are you with me? So he's talking about the very core elements of the kingdom. It's the same word that the prince is called origin. Are you with me? Okay. So what does that prince do? That prince is responsible for questioning and redefining the origin of creation. That prince goes, are you created in the image of God? Maybe, maybe you're an evolutionized amoeba. Maybe you're an evolutionized ape. Now, you may believe in evolution. It's fine. You're wrong. <laughs> it's fine. I believe in interspecies evolution. You should too. Everybody adapts to conditions and so on. But we're talking about becoming a different, a different creature. <laughs> Are you with me? And what I'm getting at is if you believe in Darwin's evolution, you don't believe you're special. 
because you weren't created in the image of God, you were just smarter than everyone else. And I'm saying, no, God said that you are a son of God. You are not a smart animal. You are a son of God. You were made in his image and his likeness. Okay, how about this one? Is that really a baby? Or maybe it's just a fetus. I'm pointing out that really, 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 really smart people whom you and I would respect on almost any field of science, scientists and doctors and philosophers and, and psychiatrists and psychologists and Supreme Court judges and people who are really smart, probably smarter than most of us in this room, believe that that's not a human. And you're like, well, let me explain it to you. And we bring out our, biology, our biological references and, and our scientific data, and they walk away not being convinced. You know why? Because they didn't make a logical decision to believe that's not a child. Origin taught them. And what is imparted to you by spirit can only be released by another spirit called the Holy Spirit. How about this one? Are you sure you're a boy? Maybe you're a girl. And I'm telling you that we're in a cultural war where things... See, when I was a boy, we were in a cultural war. But unbelievers and atheists were using science against us. And they were saying, no, we have the fossil record that you're wrong. And they were using science to prove truth. And we were going, well, we got the Bible. Science is out the window now. <laughs> There is no science is going to agree that that's not a human that a woman's carrying. No science is going to agree that you are a male and not a female. No science is going to agree that you are biologically homosexual. Because there's no science to prove that. There is no science behind that. Even with new brain mapping, all the new technology says, no, you actually create it like this. But people have very strong opinions about why they feel differently. Did you get feel? Because feelings trump facts, because feelings that we're talking about, the feelings we're talking about, are attached not to logic and reason, but to origin. And we are in a war, a cultural war, but we are not in a war with other humans. We are in a war, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. We're in a war with demonic spirits who are using humans as puppets. And you're not going to win that war by arguing biology or science with people because they didn't get there with science and biology. They got there with origin. Are you following me? And I just want to say that we are in the most we are living in the most fatherless generation in history in which our fathers are alive but not home. And it's all related to the re-identifying of fathers, families, and mothers. And now we have this phrase, the deconstruction of the family. <laughs> I want to give you a few statistics I hope, oh, I only have five minutes. I probably won't give you those statistics. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 4.1. Here's his prophecy. For seven women will take hold of one man in that day, saying, 
We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name and take away our reproach. Malachi prophesied in the last days, I'm going to send who? Elijah the prophet. And what's he going to do? He's going to restore the hearts of fathers to sons and daughters and the hearts of sons and daughters to fathers. Did you notice it's a prophetic movement that restores the identity and the family? Do you know 2 Corinthians 5.17 says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. You know what the next verse says? The next verse says, and God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How did he do it? By not counting his trespasses, trans, not counting their trespasses against him. Next verse says, and we've been given the ministry of what? Reconciliation, as which God was begging through us to be reconciled to God. See, in the Old Testament, Elijah called down fire, killed false prophets, stopped the rain. But what happens when you take an Old Testament prophet and you move him into a new covenant? What's he do? He restores families. Do you know that 51% of all American children are born out of wedlock right now? Do you know that in 1950, which was only 72 years ago, in 1950, that number was 2%? Do you know that, you know that we have a 2,000% increase in unwed mothers and children born without daddies? Do you know that since 2017, you can't find the statistics? You know that you, for example, do you know that 75 to 90 percent of all men in prison came from, un, came from fatherless homes? Do you know you're 32 times more likely to run away from home if you don't have a dad? Do you know that you're 14 times more likely to rape a woman if you don't have a dad? Do you know that you're, you're 90 percent more likely to be in prison if you don't have a dad? And do you know that we were keeping statistics, American government was keeping statistics till 2017 on the effects of fatherlessness, but you know you can't find them anymore? You know why? Because there's an origin spirit that wants to reconstruct the family, deconstruct the family, and reconstruct it to say, you can have two mommies or two daddies. The, the whole LGBT movement has as one of their tenets, the deconstruction of the family. Go look it up. The deconstruction of the family. Why? Because they want it to be normal for you to have two mommies and two daddies, but I want to point out that mommies and daddies are not the same. When God put Adam to sleep and he took the woman out of the man, we say this to men all the time, you need to get in touch with your feminine side. You can't get in touch with your feminine side. You don't have one. And when you take men, I'm doing this quickly because i got two minutes. When you, take, when you take fathers out of the home, do you know what the side effects of fatherlessness? I just gave you the statistics. Men become dramatically more violent. You know why? Because masculinity is supposed to protect, promote, and provide. But what happens when you don't have a daddy who teaches you how to take that energy and make it positive? You become violent. And now they call it toxic masculinity. And by the way, you know who's getting blamed for toxic mas masculinity? The patriarchs and fathers. See, the whole movement says, go look it up. The whole movement says, that whole movement says, fathers are actually the problem with boys becoming violent because they teach boys to be violent. No, they don't. They teach men, they teach boys 
how to manage, how to manage their masculinity. Because if you don't learn how to manage it, how many know it becomes toxic? Malachi prophesied that in the last days there would be a great move of God. He said Elijah the prophet would come. Do you know that why it's Elijah, I think? Because Elijah killed the prophets of Baal, turned all of Israel back to God, and ended up in a cave scared of one woman named Jezebel. Now, those of us that are married, we kind of get it. <laughs> he went into the cave, a lonely prophet, and God came to them in the cave, and for the sake of story, he said to Elijah, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm alone. I'm the only one left. All your prophets have forsaken you, and the prophets of Baal are taking over the country. I remember just a day earlier, he just killed the prophets of Baal. He got under the Jezebel spirit, and he started to redefine his past and his testimony by the spirit of fear. That origin spirit was on Elijah and telling him, oh, you didn't kill the prophets of Baal. They actually killed all your prophets. God said, no, I have 7,000 prophets still in my name. And then here's what he does. His Elijah, remember, Elijah's coming. Why am I telling you a story about Elijah? Because in the last days, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. Are you with me? Why Elijah? God said to Elijah, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go find Elisha and be a father to him. And I need you to get back to your ministry of anointing kings. Elijah, Elijah goes and anoints Elisha in his place. You'll remember this. Eight years up later, he goes, Elijah goes up in a whirlwind. And Elisha says, my father, my father, the horses and chariots of Israel. One more point. The, the day before Elijah, Elijah goes into that cave, the company, the prophets are called a company of prophets. The day Elijah comes out of the cave, they're called the sons of the prophets. <laughs> I'm pointing out that Elijah goes in the cave, a lonely prophet, and he comes out a spiritual father, and he shifts an entire course of history. I believe that we are in the greatest reformation. Some people say it's the third great awakening. It's bigger than that. I think we're in the greatest move of God in history, and I believe that God is raising up solutionaries, cultural architects, He's raising up apostles and prophets. He's raising up people who will actually get into culture and shift the course of history. If you're not careful, instead of, God said, Isaiah prophesied, arise and shine. If we're not careful, we just arise and reflect. We, come, we become a reflection of the culture because we think the only way to be relevant is to be the same. And I'd point out that John the Baptist was irrelevant. <laughs> no, start over. He was badly dressed, he ate the wrong food, and he was totally relevant. Are you with me? When the prodigal son came home to the father's house from the pig farm and from the palace of prostitutes and pimps, the father didn't draw him home by making the farm a house of prostitution so the boy would feel comfortable. He waited for the conviction of God to be on the boy. And when he came home, he said, here's your new identity, your robe, here's your new authority, your ring, and here's your new purity, the sandals. Because the boy 
was convicted. He said, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. How many understand you can't change the church to make people comfortable so that they can be comfortable in their sin? The goal is to be righteous and to be merciful and compassionate. But God convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. There is such thing as right and wrong. And the church has been mirroring culture to attract the sinners. And I'm like, what are you saving them to? (laughs) What are you saving them to? And I just want to pray. Would you stand, please? My son, Jason, I had this vision of Malachi 4 in a prayer meeting that I told the full story in first service. I began to see my son in stadiums calling men back to being men. And it was a powerful vision. And I texted my son while I was in the vision that lasted about five minutes. And I said, I see you filling stadiums with men and teaching them how to be fathers, how to be men. Because how many know women give birth to boys but men give birth to men. And I, see, I said, I see stadiums full of men. And I see, I had this vision where men were coming in broken. And when they got in the stadium, their clothes were suddenly changed. Their countenance was brightened. And I heard you say, men, I'm going to welcome to manhood. I'm going to teach you how to be a man and a father in the vision. And my son texts back right right back and he said dad six months ago I had the same vision stadiums were filled and I was teaching men how to be men and out of that we started a movement called Braveco you may have heard of it but we're starting already to fill stadiums we're already starting like promise keepers but on Holy Spirit steroids and men are beginning to join from all over and I believe that you know don't despise the day of small beginnings I believe there's going to be men's movements all over the world by the way women too but today we're talking about fathers And I I believe there's going to be a men's movement, kind of like Promise Keepers, but it's going to be spontaneous. It's going to be Holy Spirit. It's going to fill stadiums. It's going to fill homes. It's going to be discipling of men. It's not going to just be a fill stadium. It's going to be who, who, it's going to be men, fathers teaching boys and men how to be men. And I think we're in a super exciting time. And I think that this is going to be a hub. I saw this as a hub a few minutes ago. This is going to be a hub where boys come, where men come, and they learn how to be fathers. The rite of passage, I saw you creating a rite of passage for, for boys to become men. Because how many know sometimes, sometimes boys grow old, but they don't grow up. And so I just want to pray for you right now that the spirit of fatherhood, the spirit of Elijah, people say, well, it's Jesus. I know, I'm just quoting the Bible. He said, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet. I'm sure it's all about Jesus. But Jesus wanted to give us a picture of what it could look like. I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. He's going to shift. In fact, Jesus said, John, if you can accept it, John wasn't Elijah. He took the crooked places and he made them straight. So, Lord, we pray right now in Jesus' name that we would join the cultural war, not against humans, but against principalities and powers. And, Lord, that you would shift the course of history through the people in this church. If one can chase the thousand, two can chase ten thousand, what can this church do? And Lord, we pray 
that this church 100 years from now would be known for breaking the spirit of origin and that we would not just complain about it or just pray about it, but actually we'd prepare for it. We would prepare for the reentry of fathers and sons, daughters and mothers. In Jesus' name, everybody say, so be it. Thank you for the extra time. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.